Thank you, Stephen. Thank you all for making it out. It's great to be here. And we are indeed doing a summer series through the Psalms, and we will continue doing it uh, jointly with uh, Bruce, the pastor at the Community Covenant Church. Uh, and I'm really excited that Bruce is really excited, the pastor down there, that he's willing to uh, do church together with him. And so uh, we're looking forward to that experience. This week in the Wall Street Journal, uh, there was several articles on several days about uh, some developments uh, regarding a guy by the name of Sergio Marciani. I probably don't spell his, uh, pronounce his last name uh, too well, uh, but there you are. He was the uh, CEO of Ferrari, of, of Chrysler, and of Fiat. Now, uh, I, I know many of you just like love the Wall Street Journal, and this is old news for you, but uh, you know, just at the expense of me repeating myself, uh, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Uh, I thought it was super fascinating, and I, I know there's at least two others out here that would find this super fascinating. Uh, if you start nodding off, I'll, I'll wake you up when we get to reading the Bible. But at this point, uh, Sergio it was just a really interesting person. I mean, uh, he was an unlikely candidate to be the CEO uh, of a major car manufacturing company. I mean, he sort of came up through Deloitte as a, a consultant, and uh, uh, somehow or other they thought he'd make a good uh, executive to, in a car industry where he had no automobile uh, experience. And indeed he was. He took over Fiat, uh, the Italian motor company, and Fiat was uh, essentially broke. And then he pulled off uh, what, I don't know how, uh, but he did a deal with Obama because uh, Chrysler was also broke. And during the recession, as you may know, the Obama administration bailed out Chrysler. And uh, so Sergio says to Barack Obama, he says, listen, I've got a deal for you. I'll buy Chrysler, but I won't pay any money for it. Uh, the way I'll buy it is I'll just make you a promise. And the promise is this. I will bring Italian technology to the auto industry in America, meaning small cars. Meantime, all along, Sergio knew Americans don't like small cars. So what he did is he introduced the Fiat 500, only the Fiat 500, no other Italian car. That was him making good on his promise. Now, they also have a Fiat 500 electric car. And Sergio said, please don't buy that one, because every one that we sell, we lose $20,000. So just stick to the... Anyway, you get the picture. So somehow other, Sergio turns two auto companies around that are about to die. If he had not have taken over Chrysler, Chrysler would not be around today. But he takes over Fiat, which is broke, and Chrysler, which is broke, and somehow other turns both of them around, and he turns Ferrari around. I mean, just major accomplishments, and he's just hitting it out of the park. And like this guy is detail-orientated. He's got five cell phones, and he wants to know everything about the most minute detail. Like, they were working on a, 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 a lock problem on the door of one of the, the Chrysler models that was coming out, and he wanted an update every four to eight hours on that problem, on that latch, and personal call, call my cell phone, I want to know, how are we doing, how are we doing? But anyway, he turns these companies around, and he's just doing fabulously. Now you're saying, what has this got to do with uh, our message today? Well, here's the thing. 
you know, if you go to Harvard Business School, they will teach you awesome things about how to be a great business executive. But what they don't teach you is how to have a complete, rounded, and fulfilled life. Because you can excel in one area, like Sergio did. And here's the mistake that Sergio made. He said, okay, I'm going to resign from Fiat and from Chrysler, and I'm just going to stay with my real interest, Ferrari. And uh, I'm going to take over that, and then after three more years, I'm going to retire from Ferrari. I mean, he owns a whole bunch of Ferraris personally. And he said, then, you know, I'll move on. Well, at 66, he died. Suddenly. I mean, he had health issues, but he wasn't really concerned about his health issues because he was enjoying being executive. Now, I don't know what his family life was like because, you know, the Wall Street Journal is not real big on explaining, you know, his family life and many of his children. And, but I do know this. He spent most of his time sleeping on planes, flying here, going there, extremely busy. But what I'm trying to get at is this. Here's the point of that long story. To have a complete, fulfilled life, it's not just one-dimensional. It's not just hitting it out of the park in business. Some or other, you want to have a successful business career, you want to have a successful home life, and you want to have a successful spiritual life. And what I am saying is this. When we put Christ first, when we say, God, it's all about you, I want my life to be all about you. Can you guide me in my business transactions? Can you guide me in my thinking with my family foundations? Can you guide me when I go on vacation? Can you guide me in every area? Can my life bring glory to you? There's a huge difference. And I think this is a pitfall that we fall into. There's a huge difference between saying, God, I believe in you. Please bless me as I go along my life in my with my business. There's a big difference between saying, God, please can I bring glory to you even in my business. Let me just say that again. I think what God is asking of us, what God, the way God wants us to live, to have a rich and rewarding life, that's Jesus' phrase. I want to give you a rich and rewarding life. For Jesus to give us a rich and rewarding life, what he's asking for us to do is to make God central where we are at waking up in the morning, we say, God, how can I bring you glory? How can this be about you? How can you guide me in my sporting endeavors, my work endeavors, my family life? How do I bring you into that? That is a whole different question that you're asking God versus saying, you know, I'm going to do my own thing anyway. God, just please bless me. You know, just have this transaction go well today or, you know, help me win this sporting event. No. How can I bring glory to God? And yet we know as, uh, as humans, we are enamored with success in business. Or if we are you know, drawn in by celebrities, we're enamored by observing celebrities. Or if we love sports, we're enamored by watching our favorite sports heroes. And then we see them make these atrocious mistakes with their marriage and, you know, drugs. And, uh, and we think, no, if only I can be famous or if only I can be a great sports hero or a business executive, I won't make those mistakes. God just bless me. What I am saying is, can we ask a different question? Can we say, God, I want my whole life to bring and give you glory. And how do we do that? And as we're going through the Psalms, we're looking at the Old Testament book of poetry, and we're thinking, how can we enrich our own personal life?
But what I'm saying to you is when we get the question right, like, God, how do I bring you glory? Then when we read the Psalms, they have a lot of meaning to us because they're adding value and they're adding life to the way we do life. And there are just so many great Psalms. They're just, there's such great insight into the Psalms. It really builds us spiritually. It helps us have a spiritual life that's healthy. And today I've, I've titled the message simply, Joyfully Faithful to Jesus. Joyfully Faithful to Jesus, which is sort of an unusual term given that we're looking at the Old Testament before Jesus was born. But Jesus tells us he wants to give us a rich and rewarding life. And we use the Psalms to experience what that looks like. Now, as we look at these Psalms, as I, uh, if you want to open your, your Bible or if you want to click on it on your phone, uh, make your way to Psalm 127. We're going to do Psalm 127, Psalm 128, and just click on that Psalm. Follow along with me. I'm doing the New Living Translation. If you've got a hard copy, I'll encourage you to circle one or two uh, words or lines there because I think it's, it's helpful. But before I read this, these two Psalms, and they're both short, and so just read one after another, uh, the kind of process as you go through the psalm, it seems random. I mean, you've got like, and often we'll pick this up. We'll, do a, we'll read a psalm or a proverb, and it's like, how do these two thoughts connect? And, and as you read Psalm 127, uh, you go through the short psalm, and you say, like, these seem to be just like unconnected, unrelated points that are being made here by the psalmist. Well, we do need to remember that this is poetry, and this poetry was written in Hebrew. And what gets lost on us is the poetic side. I mean, some psalms, as you know, are acrostics, like each word, the, the beginning of each uh, verse is you know, part of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and those sort of things, we, just, we, just, we lose it when we're translating it. And in this particular psalm, what's going on is there's a play on words. And the play on words... Uh, it's too, I'm not even going to try and pronounce these Hebrew words because I'm not a Hebrew scholar by a long shot. But if you had to just say them in English, it would just be bonum and banum. Bonum and banum. And then it's got the little squiggly things and the little lines on top, you know, if you're not English and you, you're like Dasha Klinger, you've got the little squiggly over the A and the little cap over the other one. And somehow you've got to get that pronunciation right. That's part of the plan. So it's all the same in Hebrew except for an O and an A. And the one is talking about... Uh, is talking about people's sons, and the other word is talking about buildings. Okay, so two like opposite concepts. But the, the, the psalm hangs together because it's got this play on words, so we can talk about buildings, and we can talk about people's sons. And that's what holds us together. But the beauty, uh, if we don't understand anything about poetry, and you're not a ling linguistics person, uh, and you have no interest in studying Hebrew, uh, you can still get everything out of the psalm. Because God has given us the Word of God, His Word, that these concepts, there's something in you, even though it may seem random to us, that God wants to tell us and talk to us and for us to get us. So the three different concepts that I want to talk about today, which are totally seemingly unrelated, is building, security, and family. And uh, let me just read these Psalms now that I've totally confused you and you're like, okay, how does this even work? Let me read Psalm 127. It says this. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, 
guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. He, he will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. And then reading right along on Psalm 128, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Yeah, I haven't really made that comment to my wife. You know, you're just like a wonderful, fruitful grapevine. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> your children will be like vigorous young olive trees. <laughs> Megan, you like a vigorous young olive tree. Go, girl. <laughs> I'm sure you're feeling it. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Okay, so, you know, we just have a whole lot of imagery here, which is ancient. Uh, we have some word pictures that we don't necessarily relate to. But there is like richness as we go through these Psalms and we realize what God is saying to us today. So if we look at building, and God says in the verse 1 here of 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. You know, this has been a scripture which has been used in many church buildings as they construct them on the foundation stones. It's like, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And indeed, as we're going through a remodel you know, uh, program, uh, we are mindful of this, the fact that it isn't all about like the remodel. It's about the Lord. And, you know, you can build the fanciest building. There's a lot of fancy churches around Europe uh, that are pretty empty. But the point is this. It's not about the building. It's about the Lord. But we are saying that buildings do make a difference. Uh, you know, if you think about it, the old amphitheaters in ancient Rome and, 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 and Greece, they were incredible uh, feats of architecture where some guy could stand up and speak to thousands of people without any amplification and be clearly heard. Now, that concept is still running through our, our remodel. Uh, I mean, really, all we're trying to say is, can we improve the sight lines? Can we improve the audio? Can we improve the way that we can connect to what's happening up here on the stage so that we can connect to the Lord? We would be totally amiss and remiss if we're thinking that we spend a lot of money just to make the place look beautiful. I mean, it's nice to have a place to look beautiful, but there's a point. We're trying to connect and to worship and to experience the presence of the Lord without distractions. And that's, you know, the main and the plane of, uh, of the reason that we're doing this. But, you know, we could equally, uh, this verse is equally speaking to us when we say we don't build or we try and build with our own strength 
and exclude the Lord, we could apply the same principle not just to church buildings. We could apply the same uh, principle to your business or to your involvement in your business or to your building up your family. Uh, what God is saying to us is this. Can we not exclude him? Can we say to God, how do I build whatever it is that you're trying to build, whatever it is that you're passionate about, however God has designed you, whatever that thing is that's in you, that's stirring you, whatever makes you wake up in the morning with excitement and say, God, I want your best for me. I want that thing to be, a, my life to be a glorifying you. It's what God wants. God wants you to invite him into the things that you're passionate about so that what you're doing can bring him glory. And as we do that, we experience an unbelievable satisfaction. There's a sense that God fills us with all the other things that we didn't think we needed. God is saying, if you build with me, you will build well. Or Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. He said, I am the foundation. I am the cornerstone. I am the rock on which you need to build your life. And that principle is true no matter what it is that you're doing. So uh, I just want to encourage you, when you think about what it is that you're doing, ask the Lord to be present, to be part of your thinking. And don't just ask the Lord to bless you. you certainly ask the Lord to bless you, but don't stop there. Ask the Lord, how is what I'm building, what I'm spending my time, my energy, my effort, my intellectual worth, what is it that I'm doing? Lord, can you... Uh, breathe on that? Can you put life into that? Can you put meaning into that? And you can find that God will give you an incredible sense of satisfaction and self-worth as we pursue God in this way. So I encourage you to do that. You know, the biblical example of the biggest amount of foolishness that we have is Genesis 11, where they try to build the, the tower up to God, the Tower of Babel, and, and it's the humanistic idea, like, we can do this, we'll make it super awesome, and we can build anything, you know, and we become God sort of thing. And that's just been a, 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 an example for us to re, be mindful. If we exclude God, if we think we can do life without God, it's going to come crumbling down, it's going to have no value, or in Sergio's case, uh, you know, you die before your time, and you haven't fulfilled really your total dream. Yes, you excelled as a corporate executive, but what about the rest of your life? How's that doing? That's the question that we want to have uh, a fullness in. Now, the rest of uh, verse 1, as you can see, I'm doing awesome on time because we'll be at least another hour and a half because I'm halfway through verse 1, and now we're going to do the other half. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. Wow. Okay, now here is a whole nother concept, totally independent from building your life. What about uh, feeling safe and protected? Here's the mistake we make. We make a mistake as a nation or as nations or historically as nations that if we can have a strong military, okay, we're good to go. Uh, and again, it's this idea that we can self-protect ourselves. And what God is saying, he's saying that's a big, big, big mistake. He said, you can have the strongest, best, most awesome technological military in the world, but if God is not on your side, you're going to lose. And the flip side is also true. You can have like no military, a poor military, but if God is on your side, if God is protecting your country, your family, your town, you've got awesome protection. 
And God is challenging, and throughout the Bible, God is challenging. He said, who do you want to choose? Do you want to rely on your own strength, your own protection, ADP? I mean, like who, uh, you know, what protection service, uh, more guns? What do you want to do, or do you want to rely on me? And uh, there's just this awesome scripture uh, in Isaiah, another Old Testament, Isaiah 31, verse 1. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? trusting their horses, chariots, and charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies, instead of looking to the Lord. Now, you know, this may or may not apply to you today. I, I do say this. If we don't have physical protection, if we feel insecure, whether it be domestic violence, whether it be external attack, we are totally shaken up. We need to feel secure. This is something we don't want to take for granted. But when things are going well in our lives, we do take it for granted. And when it's removed from our lives, it becomes our sole focus. I mean, you look at what's happening in the world around us. Oh my gosh, we are so blessed as Americans. I mean, just on our border in Mexico, I mean, you could be living in towns where drug wars and are just hugely problematic. You know, and the new president that got elected in Mexico, I mean, that was the stand. Can we just get rid of corruption? And I'm like, amen. I mean, if he can do that, he'll be a real hero because that's always the blight of Africa or of, you know, so much of the world. You get corruption. If you can get rid of corruption, man, you've accomplished a lot. I mean, if you're in Honduras, you've got all this incredible, complex uh, situation where you've got the Catholic Church trying to take care of the poor and you've got the Protestant Church lined up with the government and the one's killing the other and it's like who's the good guys and who's the bad guys and it's like ay 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 it's so complicated all that remains though is people feel vulnerable people are being killed it's like how do you have security and of course they're trying to come to the states I mean that's a huge problem no security is an issue but what I'm trying to say in this psalm if we develop a life in the Lord. The Lord develops a security for us where we can be in ridiculous situations where the Lord protects us. And it's, a, it's not something that we want to take for granted. One of the things we want to say, thank you, Jesus, that we live in America. Thank you for the law and order that we have. Thank you for the protection that we have. Thank you that we can live in relatively safe neighborhoods. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, thank you for personal protection. And if you're not feeling, I mean, if you've got domestic violence issues, you need to be both praying to the Lord and responding. I mean, we don't tolerate domestic violence here. If that's your situation, you need to speak to me. And uh, we need to, you know, work on that. That's, it's not okay not to be safe. God's plan for you and for us is that we would be safe. So moving along, uh, I want to just talk about family here for a while. And uh, this is a word picture that doesn't totally relate to us. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. <laughs> okay, we're not hunters. Well, unless you're Steve Snow and a few others of you that, that hunt around you. I mean, I don't have a, like a bag of quivers and arrows uh, at home. But, uh, you know, obviously in the society that this was written in, they were. And so uh, this was like, this is a huge blessing. But uh, let me just say this. Before your kids become a quiverful, they might be a handful. <laughs> you know, they're still a blessing. 
Okay, so, you know, when we have kids and they're difficult to raise and whatever or not, they are blessing from the Lord. And we need to just, as parents, we just need to keep investing in our kids and expecting the best for our kids and praying for our kids and doing exactly what you're doing here. Bring your kids to church. Let them experience from a young age the blessing of the Lord. And today, as Debbie was handing out Bibles to the kids, you know, what we've done strategically here, we said, when the kids are just old enough where they can read and grasp it, can we give them a Bible that's in their language, you know, with a lot of pictures that they can get the concepts of God's blessing, of God's word, of God's truth, even from a young age? Because as they gain it and they live it out for the rest of their lives, it becomes fulfilling, meaningful, and a blessing. And, uh, you know, many of you are doing just that. You're doing an awesome job of that. But... God is amazing in the way that God can see so much greater than our current situation with our kids. You know, when we start off, before we have kids, it's just, you know, we party, we run around and do all sorts of things that are energetic and we're up until, you know, way after midnight and that just seems to be the greatest thing in the world. And then you become an old guy like me and it's like, whoa, it's not so much fun being up after midnight. I, I just prefer to just get up at the regular time in the morning and I don't like waking up with a headache and all that sort of stuff, you know. But God, in his wisdom, knows what's fun for every single age group. And the thing that's most amazing to me is when it comes to kids, God has like planned this thing. Like when you become an old guy, having grandkids becomes like real fun. Now, when you're a teenager, you're not thinking, I want to have grandkids. It's like the last thing is going through your mind. You're not even thinking grandkids. When you have grandkids, it's like, God, you got a good idea here, man. How did you think of that? You know, go God. Uh, you know, what I'm saying is this. It doesn't matter what age we're at. God has a plan for you. And there's something awesome in store for you. And if you're going through a difficult phase in your life right now, hang in there. Invite God into that. He will get you through. There's always hope. There's always joy. And you're never too old for the Lord. There's always something that the Lord has in store, in store for you. And He knows exactly how He's made you personally. And He's going to use you to bless you. If we will put our trust and our hope in the Lord. It doesn't matter how old you are. From young to old. God has a plan for each of us. God can change our circumstances. And the hope that we have in the Lord is that He knows each one of us personally. He knows what floats our boat. And He knows how to bless us. And if we'll stay in Him, and if we'll pray to Him, and if we ask God for His guidance, we will be blessed people. And for those of you that have walked with the Lord for many, many years, that becomes your testimony. You'd put up your hand and say, yes, amen to that. That's, that's my experience. God has blessed me in my work, my family, in my security. God has blessed me. And Jesus said, you will have a rich and rewarding life if you follow Jesus, if you put your life and your trust in Jesus, no matter what stage it is, no matter how old you are or how young you are. So I want to just uh, close here today. And I want to just encourage you again to focus on the Lord and to focus wherever you're at and whatever struggle you're at or whatever pleasure you're enjoying and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for the good things in my life. Thank you for your security in my life. Thank you for my family. Lord, thank you for my job that I have. Thank you, Lord. At the same time, things that make you anxious or you're nervous about, you just give it up to the Lord and say, Lord, guide me, direct me, bless me, and follow the Lord. Let him do it for you. 
but it does require faith. And faith requires that we give up control. And faith means that we don't always know what the outcome is going to be, and we can't always control the outcome. We give that and we delegate that to Jesus. And that can be the first time, like you've never put your trust and your hope in Jesus, and Jesus is saying, today, today is the day. Invite me into your life. Try me. Trust me. Test me. Take a chance on me. Invite me into your life and give control of your life to Jesus. It's simple. You say, Jesus, I welcome you into my life. I give you control. I commit to trying to follow you and to hear your voice, to obey what it is that you're saying. And Lord, speak real loud and real clear because this is all new to me. On the other hand, God is saying to many of us that have been following him for a long time, have we just put God as an appendage? Or are we saying, God, I want to make you all of my life? I want to wake up in the morning saying, how do I bring you glory? And to, to you, you also have to give up control. It's the same thing. It's like, Lord, how have I deviated? How am I focusing on what I want to focus on? Except ex instead of focusing on what you want to focus on. So, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that works in us and moves in us, that you shape us, that you direct us, that you use your word to uh, give us your thoughts and your, your plans, that you use other people to encourage us, to speak to us. But Lord, as a family, as a church, you guide us, you speak to us, you encourage us, you help us. So Lord, I just lift it up. I lift up our church. I lift up your people. I pray for your blessing on them. And Lord, most of all, we pray that your Holy Spirit is so present that we are protected by you, that you encourage us by your Holy Spirit, that we feel your presence and your guidance. In your name, Jesus. Amen.